Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I feel a lot like a yo-yo lately. You know, we're 150, now we're 30, we're back there. Temperature's really nice, now it's really going down. It seems just life is up and down, up and down, round and round. A little bit like a roller coaster, but I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad for each one of you that's here this morning. Glad for you also uh, for joining us online, all of you there. Uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for setting this time aside and um, joining together with, through whatever means we have possible. That's awesome, uh, and I appreciate that. It's so significant, and, and I trust that God will meet you here this morning and continue to speak into your life and, and uh, just uh, engage with you through this whole process. So we're in Hebrews, and we're actually coming into uh, the landing of Hebrews. We're going to be finishing up uh, the book next week, and so we're, this is our second last week. We're going to try and tackle chapter 12, and you'll recognize chapter 12 right away. It's a great chapter, and it's easily recognized. The popular, a lot of popular um, parts of it that you'll, will stand out for uh, a lot of us this morning. And so with that in mind, even I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time going into all of the different facets of the, of the book, of the chapter. You know, and I've said it before, we can't mine this exhaustively in the timelines that we've set out for it even today. Uh, at the, you know, even if we tried, we couldn't accomplish that. So I'm not even going to try and accomplish that this morning. I'm going to try and, though, and hit some of the highlights, maybe talk about some things that are a little bit more obscure, maybe not the, the, the most typical things in uh, these sections, and hopefully, though, then we will um, uh, come away with some things that are significant and that we can apply for ourselves this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I do encourage you to bring them, grab them, chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin with verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So if you would picture yourselves for yourselves this morning, a runner coming to the line for a race. And you, we see it right on the Olympics and so on. So we haven't seen the Olympics for a little while because that all got suspended for, by COVID or what have you. But um, picture, if you will, um, the, the athletes coming up to the 100 meter or, or whatever, 400 meter. And they come out and, you know, they've got their track suits on and they're stretching a little bit and they're limbering up. But as the race approaches, then they take off those track suits, they take off their sweats, and they're down to just their running gear. So that's kind of the image to have here as we're beginning this section. These guys are coming out, they're preparing for a race. They're taking off everything that they don't need so that they can now focus on what's ahead, focus on the objective that is before them. And let us run then with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, chapter 12 begins, as we've seen through much of the rest of the book of Hebrews, it begins with the author continuing on with the thought of the the previous chapter. So it's a new chapter, but again, it's not a break in his line of thinking, his train of thought at all. He's carrying on. So he's coming out of this chapter, uh, chapter 11, where he's been referring to all of these different heroes of the faith, all of these different Old Testament figures, if you will. And he's carrying on. Because of all of this, because of what I've just talked to to you about in chapter 11, therefore, so he builds off of that. But he does make a pivot here as he hits chapter 12. And we see a change. There's a little bit of a, of a difference of focus. Whereas in chapter 11, we've seen that God has been the witness of the faith of all of these heroes of the Old Testament. Where God has testified is to the faith of Enoch and, and Noah and Abraham and, and Sarah and Rahab, and Moses, and all of these other ones that are listed in chapter 11. God has testified to their faith. He's the one that's witnessed their faith. And he testifies to that in chapter 11. But now, in chapter 12, we find that all of these Old Testament heroes are now the witnesses. So they've, been, they've gone from being the object of God's witness now to the witnesses themselves. Secondly, as we come, we see a second pivot here in chapter 12. Whereas before, in chapter 11, the author is making a point. Take a look at these guys. This is faith with skin on. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about faith. These characters, all these Old Testament heroes, demonstrated faith to us. And so they were the focus. But now the author points out that now Jesus Christ is actually the focus. He's the one that we're to be focused on. He's the one that we're to be paying attention to. And so Jesus has superseded the Old Testament heroes of the faith as our, uh, the object of our attention. We're to focus on Him now. He's the ultimate example. He is the one that will help us succeed in this race that we are being called to by our faith and in our faith. Now remember, the writer's speaking to a largely Jewish audience. So they would have been used to the idea of focusing on these Old Testament characters. We've talked about that a little bit before. Moses was huge. Abraham. All these things. And as the author has been referencing these characters throughout the book, they've been very much in focus. But now we're in a different time. Now we're in a different stage. And the author points out that now, even now, though they're Old Testament heroes, they're huge in the faith, that Christ has superseded them and He is the one that we focus on now going forward. So note those two things. With respect then to this whole area of the cloud of witnesses, we can't come to this passage without addressing that. And so I want to point out here a few things. There's there's basically, it seems, there's two main ideas or trains of thought, two 
interpretations of what's being referred to as we look at this idea of the cloud of witnesses. Some would say, again, and if you would picture a stadium, picture a stadium where there's going to be a foot race, where there's going to be this athletic event that's taking place. We see this a lot. You know, we've got coliseums and so on and so forth. They would have had them as well. You know, back then, this was a, would have been a big uh, idea, a common idea for them as well when you were uh, seeing athletic events and so on. So if you picture this idea of a, of a stadium where there's a crowd that's been gathered to watch the race that's going to happen in front of them, that's the backdrop here. And therefore, some would argue that this cloud of witnesses is then these Old Testament heroes, all the ones that we've been talking about and picturing them as this group of spectators that are now watching us, their descendants, the, 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 uh, uh, the next generation, if you will, of believers begin their race, begin this race of faith. And so because these Old Testament figures then are spectators, then they're now witnesses, if you will, to us as we run our leg of the, the, of the race of faith. So that's one kind of an idea, one sort of a concept. The point here is, is that we should be encouraged by that idea, by that image, that now the Old Testament heroes have, have, have gathered and are watching you and I as we begin our leg of this race. And that as such, then we should take comfort, we should take encouragement, we should be spurred on in this race because they have all gathered, if you will, to watch us. The second train of thought or interpretation would be that all of these Old Testament heroes are witnesses, actually, to the idea or the, the, to the legitimacy of having lived a life of faith and to the faith itself, our faith itself. That they have engaged in this race of faith. And they are testifying now, they are witnesses to us that this faith is real and true. That they are now the ones that are bearing testimony, bearing witness that you can do it. You can live this life of faith. You can run this race as we have. And again, the point here would be that the author is trying to encourage you and I to press forward, to endure, to succeed in this race as we begin it now, this race of our faith. Now, in either of these cases, in either of these interpretations, it's important to understand that more than not, very heavily, if not completely, the, the interpreters, the commentators, whoever, you, if you will, that are weighing in on what exactly the author is saying here, they lean very heavily on the idea that the author here is painting for us a metaphorical picture. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not literal, it's figurative, or it's conceptual. Okay, so he, they would argue that what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's trying to give us just a, a, a boost. And it's not literal, it's not that these guys are all in a stadium watching us run. It's not that they're all 
walking with us now, bearing witness to us literally day by day that you can do it in your faith, you can, you can succeed, but that it's metaphorical, all right? And so this is important because oftentimes this passage is interpreted for us as to understand, for us to understand that what is really being talked about here is that the cloud of witnesses is all of our forebearers, our family, our loved ones that have gone on to heaven before us and that they're now assembled in heaven watching us here on earth run our race of faith. And that we're to take heart in that. And as you look at the text, I don't believe that we can really come to that conclusion. And if you will, let me just sort of add now some, my two cents to this whole, this whole topic. First of all, as you look at the text itself, there seems to be very little support for that being the, the central idea, that it's the cloud of witnesses is our relatives, our loved ones that are watching us from heaven. I think that that is backed up, secondly, by the idea or the understanding that we have of heaven as we look at heaven and understand it from the different points of Scripture elsewhere. So we look at what we know of heaven, that doesn't seem to bear out. But thirdly, I don't think it makes sense to interpret it that way because not all of us actually have loved ones that have preceded us and gone to heaven in the faith. For some of us, we're the first ones to faith in our families. We're the first ones to faith, and therefore there are no others that have gone on before us that are somehow now gathered and watching us go. So, on account of those three things then, I would say that we're better to come to this passage and understand it in one of the two senses that are offered for us before, as either an, an idea, a metaphor of these Old Testament figures gathered around us in a stadium, watching us and encouraging us, cheering us on as witnesses as we run our faith. Or that we would look at it and we would understand that as we see these Old Testament characters, these heroes of the faith, that they testify, they were witnesses for us now that our faith is real, that our faith is true, and that therefore we can lean into it and we can succeed as they have in being deemed by God as righteous. So I would keep that in mind. Now, the point, though, is, is that all that said, this does not preclude for any of us that have loved ones that have gone on before us, that does not preclude us from using them as motivation in our lives and in our faith. So don't, don't hear that this morning and kind of walk away from this passage all deflated. I very much am motivated by my loved ones still. And it just so happens, you know, that some of them have gone on before me. Some of them are still here, and I'm motivated by them as well. I don't want to disappoint them. I want, to th well, I want them to be proud of me, and I particularly want them to be proud of me in my faith because I understand that to be the most fundamental thing in my life, and I know that it was the most fundamental thing in their lives. And so if there's a one area of my life that I want to live up to them, if you will, it's in this area of faith. So that, to me, is a motivating factor day by day. 
So don't, don't discount that. If you're in that situation where you have loved ones that have gone on before you, then use that as motivation as we come to faith, as we come to living our lives. That's awesome. Don't just discount it. But recognize, don't, let's not take that idea and that concept and even, if you will, the warm fuzzy that that sometimes can conjure up inside of us. And, and let's not read it into Scripture this morning. Let's not make this to be something different than it is. The author here is pointing us at these Old Testament figures. And he's encouraging us. And he's trying to motivate us in this faith. So let's hear that and carry on and go forward. Now, as it comes then back to verses 1 to 3 as a whole, if you will, then one way or the other, however we want to break that down, whichever perspective we want to take with regard to these, these Old Testament heroes in this cloud of witnesses, the author is encouraging us to begin to run this race of faith and this race of faith that has been set out before us. Okay, and so let's not miss this. First of all, it is our turn to run. Nobody else is situated in this time and place, in this part of the world, in, in the space that you occupy. So it is important that we not miss the race. We need to run this race. We're called now to run this race. And run it we must if we believe in our faith. If we claim faith this morning. And remember this as well. That this is the author is now addressing those of us that claim faith in Jesus Christ. The ones that have weighed out the evidence of who this Jesus is and what he has done and found it to be sufficient to then offer a verdict of faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting, our, trusting in him for our salvation. Okay, so he's, the author is speaking to us. Now he says it's our time to run. Now, as we, as we look at this and as we understand this, we need to understand that as we make this claim of faith, then that changes our agenda, and our priorities for life going forward. All right? We don't make this claim of faith and then wander off to do our own thing because we now have a race that has been set out before us by God. So we are called now to that agenda, to that objective, to that course, not our own. This, this race has been set out for us by God. We ask ourselves stupid questions, honestly. Let's, I shouldn't say it that way. That's not nice. We ask ourselves really uninformed questions a lot of the time. What, are, what do you want to do with your life? We ask our kids that. What do you want to be when you grow up? I think I would submit to you it's a bad question. Ask your kids instead. What do you think God is calling you to be in your life? Let's point them to the path that has already been set out for them by God. Let's ask each other that question. 
What are you going to do about this? And let's not ask that. How about we ask this? What do you think God wants you to do about this in your life? The course has been set. The path has been given. He has this all planned out. He is not so laissez-faire. He is not so uninformed. He is not so unengaged as to not have a path set out for you. So as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we need to recognize that we now have a path to follow, that he is determined, and it is our priority to find that path and run that race according to what he has laid out for us. Not to make a claim of faith put that in our back pocket, and turn around and live life as we deem appropriate. Our, our faith initiates us on this path. It's not our path. It's God's path. It's Christ's path. And it's our then responsibility now to find it and follow it and run it through and make it through to its completion. All right? Now, further to that, the view here of this race is not a race of speed or of competition. So we're not trying to race our way through this course as fast as we can, nor are we competing with everybody else around us to see who can get there first. According to the race that's been set out, the path that God has chosen for each one of us, we could easily arrive there at very different times. Some of us will have a long race ahead of us. Some of us may have a very short race ahead of us. And God in his goodness and God in his wisdom has placed us on the path and on the, in the race that he's chosen for us. Which is to say then let's trust him with that. Now, not be stupid. Not saying just run around willy-nilly. Don't jump out of, in front of a bus to see if today's the end of the race for you. But let's trust him with that. Let's not worry about that. Let's focus instead on what I have to do in this leg of the race that I've been, I've been given today. So then, if it's not a race of speed and if it's not a race of uh, of competition, if you will, we need to understand this as a race that we've been given kind of along the lines of more of an obstacle course to accomplish. Which is to say then that we need to overcome the obstacles and the challenges, the terrain, the elements of this race that we've been given. We have to set our minds on making it to the end of this course, the end of this race, that's the goal. That's the objective. And so as a result of that, then we need to be prepared to endure for the distance, for the time, for the difficulty that lies ahead of us. One of the things that I appreciate so much about, about Christianity, about Christ himself, about the author of Hebrews here specifically, is that he doesn't sugarcoat our life of faith. He plays with us straight which is to say that as we come to our faith, then he's not saying that it's going to be all life of roses. Very, very different. As we come to our life of faith, we're pointed, and, and it's pointed out for us that it's going to be tough, kids. And here's a fact. 
If we choose this faith, then de facto, that makes our worldly life more difficult. Because the world is going this direction, and our faith calls us to go that direction. And that means challenge and difficulty. So by virtue, again, of our decision to follow Jesus, we need to understand that that makes our life more difficult. And nobody here is playing with that. Nobody's sugarcoating it. I appreciate that fact. The author of Hebrews then doesn't just leave us with that, but he actually then goes on to say, okay, and now listen, guys. If you want to finish this course successfully, if you hope to succeed in this, then here's how you do it. You fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. You focus on Him. You follow Him. And that gives us the best opportunity of making it through to the other side. Remember, he's speaking to some Jewish people, a lot of Jewish people. And he's saying to them, hey guys, this is a new day. Don't even focus now anymore on these Old Testament figures as your primary focus. Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is now here. These Old Testament figures were looking forward to the day of Christ. That's what got them into this whole area of righteousness at all. Because they were looking forward to something more. Because they had in mind something more that they knew they could trust God for was coming. But now that day has arrived. It's here. And Jesus Christ is here. So for you and I today, we look back to Jesus Christ. And we can look at these Old Testament heroes. That's awesome. And let's learn from them what we can. But our primary focus is Jesus himself. So we need to know Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. We need to follow Jesus if we're going to make it through successfully. And if we don't, then the odds of us not making it through to the other side go up significantly. Now, you know, listen. At this point, as the writer of Hebrews points us to Christ, then the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul would second that loudly, I think, this morning. He would be here with a resounding amen. And he would chime in and he would draw to our attention that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. So in this race, guys, Paul would be saying, right along with the author of Hebrews, if he's not the author himself, he would be saying, we can do this, guys. Focus on Christ because we can do all things through him. Everything that he calls us to, then we can do that through him because he's alongside of us to help us accomplish that. John, the apostle John, would also second it, third it, whatever it would be. He would chime in with the whole idea that greater is he that is in you this morning than he that's in this world. And therefore, then you are prepared, you are equipped already through Jesus Christ to accomplish this race, to run this race through to its succession, to, 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 to its, what am I trying to say? You'll succeed. As we focus on Him. 
He's the ticket. He's the deal. Keep your eyes peeled for him. Moving on then, we've got to continue on here quickly. We're in the, still in the first three verses. There's, there's a few more to go. Verses 4 to 13, let's carry on. In your struggle against sin, the writer continues, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There's an encouraging statement. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children, for, excuse me, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. For those that have been trained by it. This morning, as the author presses on into verse 4, he continues with his last point of verse 3, that readers, uh, that his readers, then and now, that we not grow weary and lose heart. And he reminds them to stay motivated by pointing out that they haven't reached this place yet where they've been martyred for doing so. So there's, take that home as encouragement today. You haven't died yet for the faith, so be encouraged. No one's even laughing at that. Well, it's maybe a good thing. As he does that, as he, he's not just pointing that out. He's not trying to be glib. He's pointing back to these Old Testament figures again, many of which were martyred for their faith. They died on account of their faith. And so he's saying, hey, listen, kids. This isn't tough yet. You can make it. Keep it up. Let's keep moving forward. What's more is he's not even just referring them back to these Old Testament figures, but here again, he refers back to Jesus Christ in verse 2, who went to the cross in order to provide us with this faith to follow. So take heart. We're all still here. We're all breathing. Let's push forward. And then in verses 5 and 6, then the author introduces his next topic, his next subject, namely discipline. And he does so, he introduces it with a quotation from Proverbs 3, verse 11. Now, this section, you'll be happy to hear, it speaks easily for itself. 
So I'm not going to dive into it in a lot of depth. But there are a few things that I want to quickly highlight. Two things in particular to highlight as we hit this section. First of all, I think that very often, very often, that we, that it is that we, that we dismiss the whole idea of God's discipline. That we treat it lightly. We reject it even, this area of God's discipline. Too often we do. And especially as it comes to this whole idea of our trials and challenges as God's discipline. So in our lives, what I think happens more than not is that as we encounter these areas of challenge, these, these hurdles in our lives, we look at those situations as now being devoid of God. Not that God's in them, but that He's actually absent in those things. We sometimes look at our situations as we go into challenges, and we think that that's the time which God has abandoned us. And so as a result of that, then we discount or we discredit challenges in our lives as being of any purpose or good. And here we see that that's just plain wrong. And Now, this morning, we can argue about whether or not God intends these situations in our lives or whether he just allows them, but that's an argument for another day. What we need to understand from this this morning is that in our challenges and in our hurdles and in the obstacles that we encounter in life, we will find God there. And he's wanting us to look for him in those. Now, that's a game changer. At least it is in my life because I've gone through a lot of obstacles and I anticipate I'm going to have to go through some more. I'm trusting that maybe you are similar. And so as we hit those things in our lives, as we hit these obstacles and challenges, then that's not a time for us to turn away from God. That's not a time for us to dismiss them and discount them. But rather, that's a time for us to tune in closer as God is using them to discipline us and build us and grow us into the people that he wants us to be. So that gives me a lot of things to think about in my life because I find challenges every day. Challenges in my patience. Challenges in my dealing with other people. Challenges in health situations. Challenges, you name it, they just add up one after another after another. I was talking to somebody just before the service. Another health challenge in their world. Those things are there. Those things are allowed, whatever, in our lives so that God can grow us. This, this problem of discounting or dismissing uh, uh, the challenges in our lives, the difficulties in our lives as discipline, is compounded by a second thing. It's compounded by this idea that it's God's goal to make us happy. Bunk. Bunch of hogwash. We've bought into a bunch of junk in our faith. We think that God's here to make us happy. That's, a, but that's, that's hooey. God is here to make us holy. We see that back in verse 10. That's his objective. 
And we discount that. We want to try and circumvent that because we don't like that idea. We don't like that formula. Challenges to make us holy, what's up with that? I don't, I don't like that. The author says that, right? It's painful, it's painful. We try and avoid that. But the fact is, is that as we become holy, then it leads to us being righteous and a time of peace in our lives, both now and ultimately in the future. So we've got to dismiss this idea that challenges are a, are a problem. They're going to be a problem at face value. Absolutely they are. But don't discount them as God being gone, absent from them. Lean into them because we know for sure that he is there in those. He's using them in our lives. And secondly, then let's not discount them because we think that some, for some reason God wants us to be happy and therefore when, when I've got challenges, then he's abandoned us or whatever. The bunk again, like we, it's, he's in them, and he wants to make us holy, and it's through holiness that we will find true happiness, fulfillment, contentment. Don't miss them. All right. Next one. And I'll try and do this quickly. I think that we've got a second problem that is really starting to impact us as a church because we've got a big problem right now in our society. And that problem is, is that we can't speak into the lives of one another anymore because if we do, somebody's hurt or somebody's offended. All right? And that started to creep into the church. And by what I, what, what I mean by creep is it's galloping in today. That we can't speak into our, each other's lives anymore because that leads us to being hurt. That leads us to being offended. And I think that this really plays out in this whole area of discipline. If anybody even sniffs close to the edge of somehow correcting us, all of our sensibilities get up in a knot. <gasps> How dare they? They don't know my truth. They don't know my situation. You can talk for yourself, buddy, but you can't talk to me. So this area, this idea of becoming disciplined or being disciplined is becoming more and more difficult. Be ever, before we ever get to the, to, the, to the idea that somebody might have something to say to us that's legitimate, before they could ever even offer some sort of corrective, positive criticism, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, constructive criticism. We discount it. We rule it out of order. Because we're offended, we've been hurt. So the discipline or the correction is lost. It's forfeited. It's disqualified. Frankly, this morning, church family friends, it behooves us as Christians to have a thicker skin. To get a thicker skin. To be prepared for this. Over and over through Scripture, we are told that we need to be speaking into one another's lives to help one another out so we don't fall into sin. Don't carry on into sin. 
But we don't hear that this morning. If somebody were to say something or other about, oh, Doug, what you're doing is wrong. What do I do? I don't lean into that. I go and look for somebody else that will tell me the opposite, that will give me the opinion that I want so that I can stand on that and thumb my nose at the correction. So we dismiss it on a peer level. But God doesn't even stop there. I think that God knew that that was going to happen. So he's given actually us a structure and a hierarchy beyond that. Which is to say, he's given us, first of all, parents that speak into our lives. And right now, parents are running in fear of their kids in this society. Because our kids are being granted a whole bunch of power that they shouldn't have that they're not ready for. Frankly. And we need to stand up. We need to point out for them that I'm a parent and therefore I am going to speak into your life and I'm entitled to do that because God has given me that responsibility and therefore then the prerogative. So we better take that back, parents. We need to take that back. We can't abdicate that responsibility from God. What's more, God has given us people in spiritual authority over us and we discount them as well. When I find something that, that I object to or that conflicts with my perspective or opinion, then what do I do? I negate it, regardless of who said it, whatever their position is. I rally myself and my troops, and we have a different perspective on this. Again, wrong. It's not your responsibility for that. And what's more, then we take it even a step further where now no longer does the, even the Holy Spirit have the right to speak into our lives and discipline us. That as He convicts us in our lives, then we discount it because that would somehow make me feel unhappy. That that would make me feel sad, bad. And so we hold the Holy Spirit even at arm's distance when it comes to Him speaking and disciplining us in our lives we got to get over that, kids. we got to get past that. If we want to make it through to the end of this race successfully, then we need to be open and ready for God's discipline in our lives, how He brings it about, however that is. We can't, we can't run around and cry hurt or offense. All that is, all that is, is pride run amok. We're told, and I'm running out of time, we are told over and over in the society today that we are the be-all in the end-all. And we have swallowed that hook, line, and sinker to the point now where we think that we are self-sufficient. Where we're in a position where we can determine right and wrong. Where we then are now the arbitrators of truth in our lives. And it's not true. We have to revolutionize our view of discipline, I would submit to you this morning. So that God can begin to speak into our worlds and change us and create in us the holiness that he is looking for. Now, after having spoken these words, then again, I appreciate the way that the author of Hebrews alternates from the hard love with some good encouraging notes as well. And he does so in verses 12 and 13. And we'll do this quickly and then we'll end for this morning. There it's where it says, 
make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He's reminding them of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. And then, as he says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. He's pointing the reader back to Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 8, which is about God's coming salvation. And let me read it for you this morning. As a as he speaks into the lives of these readers, and he's just been telling them, hey guys, we got to run this race. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be just a bed of roses. There are times it's going to be really difficult. There's times it's going to be a challenge. But don't, don't lose heart. He says, don't lose heart. And here again, he, he refers them back to this passage, Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 8. There it says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Church family, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap, uh, leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground a bubbling spring. In the, in the haunts where jackals once lay, I can't see because my eyes are turning into those pools. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Remember that early on in Christianity after Christ arrived, it was known as the way. He was known as the way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Church family, let's run the race. Let's persevere. Let's not lose heart. Let's make it to the other side. And one day, one day, God will be there. He will arrive to save us. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that it would not return to you void today, that it would go out into each one of us and change us. By your spirit, speak into our hearts and our minds this morning, Lord, so that we would be different people. We need to be different people. We need to be righteous before you. Please lead us in that path, but also for the sake of those around us that don't know you yet, Lord, that we would be able to be a testimony to you and the world around us. So to that end, again, I ask that you would apply these your words this morning, and I pray all this in Christ's name for his sake alone. Amen. Amen.